you've entered into the world of alternate realities. Here, paradigms are shifted, minds are blown, and veils are lifted. Actual supernatural experiences are brought to life through storytelling by the people who experience them. Welcome to Adventures in Mysticism with Leah Grant, where the esoteric is explored and consciousness is expanded. Visit adventuresinmysticism.com to further your spiritual development through Leah's latest offerings. And now we continue with this episode's mystical adventure. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are going on a mystical adventure with Catherine Girardi. She is an emotional alchemist and so much more. Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Leah. It's exciting to know that we live in a world now where somebody can start out in coaching and transformational coaching and then move into something as it evolves with the experiences and the magic of life. And I'm one of those people. So I technically am an international transformational coach and emotional alchemist, but I am also an intuitive and I've had some very interesting spiritual experiences, which we're here to share and talk about. And I also really believe that we are evolving and the more that we can look into the future for spiritually architect the future, we have a lot of options, a lot of opportunity. And I think I'm also really a treasure hunter. I really love hunting for new cool tools. I love it so much. And so I, I'd almost have to say I'm, I'm really feeling like I love the treasures we find that work. I love figuring them out. I love sharing them. I love finding what, figuring, figuring out what the recipe is for each of us. So I know that we'll have a lot to share and talk about. Oh, absolutely. And for those of you who are listening, Catherine is my personal emotional alchemist. And so sharing her is a delight to do, and I can't wait to get into some of her stories today. So let's dive right into that. So what was your first like spiritual, supernatural, or paranormal experience? You know, when I was thinking about our conversation today, I went back to the first big one and I realized that that actually that in that moment I intuitively did do what I do today. I just didn't realize it, and that was that my first big kind of paranormal experience was a you know being on a sleepover as a thirteen year old with two other girls, and we were all wound up and fired up, and the parents had left to go to a dinner party while we were left to you know have spaghetti and you know be girls, and we noticed that the lights turned on and off and a few times. And we thought it was just, oh, loose wire. We stomped on the floor and it kind of came back on. And then another light went off and on. And then a record player started playing funny. And then the needle went ripping across the whole record. And that was impossible. It was a good old, you know, fashion record player. Needless to say, you know, we freaked out, we ran out of the house and, you know, we called everybody back to like help us. And then once we were finally seated at the table to kind of eat our dinner and, you know, everything's cool, you know, the father left and went back to the party. The mom went up to take a bath. And as we were sitting there, there was, it was an old, old house and there was a room that just had a piano in it. 
and the piano began to play by itself. And the piano was not playing like a nice song. It was like chords that were slamming down. And it was a, it was a real, you know, kind of horror movie moment. And my two friends burst into tears. I already kind of thought the paranormal was pretty interesting and like reading ghost stories. But I remember sitting there going, wow, this is real. Like this is really happening right now. And sort of taking it in and being so amazed that, um, and in the meantime, a part of me is going, whatever that is, really mad. <laughs> it's really yeah. It's really living. <laughs> and I was looking at my friends, they're bawling. And I remember thinking, okay, I should stop enjoying this. And I should actually probably be helpful. And so I looked at them and I was like, you got to calm down. If you calm down, it'll stop. Somehow I just intuitively felt that we were what was agitating whatever was in the house. And if we could just be quiet, it could then stop and know that we got the message. And so I encouraged them to, you know, it's like, just stop. I'm like, breathe, breathe, you know, calm. And so they started, brought it to a whimper. And um, the second that they really stopped, it stopped. And we all took turns running past that room so we could get upstairs and get to where we were going to sit. And I remember we all sweat from the, just the, <gasps> of it all till we our nightgowns were soaking. Like we were just, it was, it was really intense. And that was the first one where I thought, okay, there's more to this world than, than we realize. And it communicates. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's that. Well, and there was also that part of the story where you, you were in it, but you were also almost looking at it from an observer's point of view even as a child to say like, okay, yeah, this is happening, but wow, this is kind of interesting. What should we do about it? Mm -hmm. I was sort of looking around trying to figure out, you know, what are our choices? What are our options? And that's really what I do today. What I do today is I, is I work with individuals and then I work with groups and, you know, and really ask, you know, what is, what is going on and, and really take that tour and kind of remote view the whole situation. And through a number of different other, you know, brushes with death and intense situations. Each time one of those occurred, another level of skills and 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 sort of activations occurred. And obviously, doing a lot of work, you know, studying so many different kinds of energy, th- you know, energy work with different teachers. And each time, there's always there's always like these great gold nuggets that you you know it's like you you get that takeaway. And you get to, you know, bring one and then add it to your, to your, you know, your toolbox, add it to your skills. And so I really, I think I really love, I love that process so much that I love being able to give that to others Mm. as much as possible. (laughs) I hear that. I hear that. So I know just because we're friends as well, that you have had a number of near-death experiences and ease. Is that something you're going to share with us today? It occurs to me that the one that would be the most helpful to share, um, and it and it's, would probably be the first one of the first ones because of how it did plant the seeds for what came later. And that was that when I was 18, I uh, developed Guillain-Barre syndrome when my father was dying of cancer. And at the time, it was so much less, I mean, very little is really known about it completely now still, I mean, they know more, but at the time, I was barely diagnosed. And the 
it worked its way in from my fingertips and my toes. I was actually studying to be a pilot at that time. That was my dream. I wanted to fly helicopters and my fingertips and my toes were going numb and I was getting weaker, but I just thought it was just, you know, being wild and having a great time. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm a little tired. Okay, let's go. I remember borrowing a friend's shoes so I could still go fly a plane and, you know, I could still feel the rudder pedals because the shoes were too small just to, just to still get up there. But eventually I collapsed and then was brought to the hospital and diagnosed and then swiftly um, it kind of works its way in from the fingertips and the toes until it paralyzes you fully. So I was fully trapped in my body. And the only way to kind of survive, you know, to stay sane was to use my head and my creativity and my mind and really know that I had to be able to think my way out of it, you know, to use my imagination, to use my creativity and take myself out when I could just with thoughts. Although I was in enough discomfort that that was really problematic because there was just a weirdness to being sort of short-circuited in your whole body head to toe. And then um, as it got worse and worse and worse, and my father was simultaneously getting closer to death, they kept me off a respirator so that we could still talk on the phone. And he was very clear about saying, you know, I got to go, you got to stay. But a part of me was like, well, you're going, I'm kind of almost going. So why not just go with you? <laughs> you know, like, right. Um, it was, it, I mean, it was bad. It was the, you know, they had said that we don't know when it, you know, we don't know when it will turn the tide and maybe, it, you know, it, sometimes it kills people. You never know. Mine was all the way through my lungs. They were checking my breathing. I got to the point where I did not actually have enough breath to laugh or cry. I couldn't actually even show emotion at a certain point. And so to imagine not having anything to, to not like really nothing it was so intense of an experience that I just didn't want to be here anymore. And when it was at its deepest sort of, it was like this vacuum pull. I was like, I think I'm done. I'm really and how long, done. how long were you sick with it? Weeks and weeks and months and months. It was a long, long, long time. Like I had so many roommates come and go at the hospital. I just got used to it. Like I was the one who stayed, everybody else came and went and it just became the norm. But when I finally let go, obviously that's not something that, I mean, I don't know that my mom even knows that I really just was like, peace out. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. And I was, I lifted up and out of my body in a different way than I'd ever experienced. And the kind of traveling down the tunnel and taking off and I really was clear where I was going and I was at peace with it. I was really at peace. And as I was getting to that really beautiful bliss state and I was really feeling so free in my body and I was finally out and finally, you know, after a long time, I could hear in the distance something that was saying something and it was, it was angry, mad or upset. And be, you know how, when you hear it, you kind of like lean in like, what, what, what? What? And so I kind of leaned in to be like, what, what's that? What is being said? And I leaned in and I, and as I leaned in, I didn't realize that I was also kind of traveling. And, and as I leaned in, I started to make out the words, I'm not done with you yet. You don't have permission to leave. And I realized it was my best friend and she was screaming at the top of her lungs. 
And as I kind of listened to get all the words, all of a sudden I kind of popped back in and then I was in. And then I, you know, she was shaking me in that kind of like soldier on the field kind of, you know, get up soldier kind of way. And I, not only did I pop back, but I stabilized. I stabilized in a way that was, was so weird that it was uncanny. And they measured me because they were taking measurements constantly because they were watching me drop and watching me drop. And I had no breath left. And, and all of a sudden I was strong. And so in the same way that you had your experience, it was like that kind of a weird, all like, like I kind of just knew it was gone, Mm -hmm. but I had no muscle left on my bones. All the muscle was gone. And so the, um, the thing that was strange was that I was back. I was now getting stronger in a way that they were a little shocked by not the, not the last time I would be shocking doctors, but, and, um, when I, you know, made this progress for the first time, I, you know, I was flat for so long that then to sit up is kind of a big deal because of how your chemistry gets, you know, how your, you kind of get your, your circulation gets weird. So you have to like work your way up to just sitting up. So when I finally sat up, I could see the TV on the wall because this was, and interestingly enough, this was the same year as the harmonic convergence. This is 1987. And so it was a big year for spiritual stuff. And I'm, you know, I look at the wall to see the TV and I'm so excited because now I have this new energy in my body. I didn't, you know, it was brand new. I'm like, let's go, let's go. And I don't know where that came from because I had just been on death's door. And so I was watching TV for the first time and it was a great show and a commercial came on. And so I had to go to the bathroom. I'm wide awake. So I walked out of my, you know, I walked to the bathroom and I sat down because I really had to go at that point. I realized there is no way I could be here. I can't walk. I don't have muscle on my bone to do so. I haven't walked in weeks. Like, how did I get here? <laughs> Apparently you did. <laughs> so I really had to go. So I, I had that moment of being like, all right, if I go here, does it happen here? And so I finally kind of looked around the corner out the door and looked in the bed and there's a body there and it's me. And I'm like, okay, so problem solving again. <laughs> like, so wait a minute, know? just so that our listeners are really clear, you astrally got up and went to the bathroom, but your body was still in the bed. Yeah, I was having an out-of-body experience, my first really conscious one. Okay. And I walked right out without realizing it and then realized that I had to, you know, I just kind of come back from death and I knew that I'd get in big trouble <laughs> if I just walked right out again. So I'm thinking, okay, all right. And so I looked at the bed and I thought, okay, what do I do? And so I kind of dropped in and I thought, well, let's try willing myself there. And I did, and it worked. So I went, you know, popped back in and I'm like, oh, but I still really had to pee. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, there's this button. You're like, like, okay, I know I'm not dreaming because I am very wide awake. Like when you have to go, you are awake. <laughs> so, so the, um, so the, the energy of like, okay, you know, panic to go to go to the bathroom. But then once I went, I then had the second big thought, which was, how did that happen? And that was really the first piece that was like, I was very aware that I physically for, I actually genuinely forgot. I couldn't, I forgot. I couldn't walk. I absolutely spaced it. And I thought, what else could we do if we forgot we couldn't? And so because that was such a drink of water after being in the desert for so long, where I felt like I'd walked, even though I had not, my body had not, but I had, I was really refreshed. I had this kind of a, reboot 
if you will. But about two weeks later, and of course I'm still, you know, I mean, I was, I was, I was progressing back unusually fast. They didn't know what to make of that. And, but I still need to kind of regrow the muscle. And about two weeks later, I still wasn't enough where I could, you know, have a walker. It was, it was still intense. I thought, I wonder if I could do it again. I mean, I, my need is genuine. I really want to. And so I had just enough genuine need that I did it again, but on purpose. And I walked out of my body. I waited till everyone had left in case I screwed up. <laughs> everyone got home. <laughs> the day. I was like a little, I was a little ninja about it. And I thought, okay, I'm like, everyone's gone. So I walked out and I walked right down the hallway to the nurse station and um, got as far as the nurse's station, looked around, saw everything happening and realized that it felt like it could get easy to just get lost. And I thought, oh, everybody would be really mad if I did that. So before I got too far, I just went back to my room, went back to my body and was like, okay, that was enough. I proved it to myself that I could. And then after that, I didn't have enough genuine need because I was walking or starting the process of, I, and, and they brought me back in two or three times to study me and ask me questions. All of them just, just scratching their head, unsure, it didn't make sense to them how this happened. And somehow in all of that, it confirmed for me that what I thought had occurred was sort of leaving and coming back definitely had, I was different. I had a different energy in me. I didn't make sense you know, my father had sworn that he would not die until I had my discharge papers. And when I got my discharge papers, he died 20 minutes later. And instead of feeling kind of, you know, horrified, I actually had this profound peace. I was like, great, you're free. Um, I didn't even know how to relate to people. I just tried to roll with it. Mm. And that worked in so many different ways because I was curious at a whole other level about, okay, that's possible then. And then I really dove into, you know, reading books and finding out how does this all work? You know, what's happening? What have other people, you know, what's happened for other people? And while that wasn't the last experience, that was the one that then set me up to really get the sense of, I want to find out who knows how to do cool stuff. And that was what kind of led me to then later, I did find, you know, a martial arts school that was doing things with natural, you know, kind of connection to nature energy and working with chi and understanding how to, you know, create an unbendable arm, how to, you know, draw energy from nature and release energy in nature. And so doing, and I fell in love with that so much. And that cultivation, I think that having that sort of physical training to, you know, learn about your own edges understand your own courage and your fear and the responsibility of, of understanding different techniques that were intense. That was, it was such a love story of, wow, this exists. Wow. You can do that. Wow. This is available. And I'm just so grateful that I could find that experience because then that tempered everything else I did later with further spiritual experiences. Wow. That's, a, that's such an amazing story. It's, it's definitely a journey of curiosity. You know, you've really got to be that out of the box thinker, as you know, it's like when I loved your stories and the way in which, you know, you think everybody's like that till you find out that they're not. And then you figure out how to bridge the gap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and what, what's been interesting to me is that you've had, you had, that was your first really pivotal NDE 
but then it wasn't your last. No, no. And, and the, the thing I've really discerned in a overall way, especially is that it appears that every time it's like getting another, it's almost like getting another astrological chart on top of the one you have. And, and it's like, you keep downloading these other ways. It's like, it always seemed like there was a skill that came in afterwards. For example, after one of them, I suddenly could do graphic arts, like almost, it was just this. And, and I asked to be shown the basics, but then all of a sudden I was just, it was just pouring out of me. And because of that, I was able to graduate from one job I was doing to free myself up to do another one that made me more available to do what I'm, you know, to kind of work my way to the path that I'm, I'm in today. And it really, as I look back on it, I go, I go, oh, each one of these downloaded a different level of skill that I had that I needed and then gave me another sort of insight into how to do the work I do today. Because genuinely, I really feel like, you know, we are meant to we're, you know, we have a, we, we really are meant to have this legacy of emotional alchemy be something that we can do with the same piece um, as learning how to do nutrition. Mm. I really feel like, you know, when we think about it, it's only recently that we've discovered that we know how to, you know, eat the right foods that work for us. And even still, we have other things we need to do or adjust based on what kind of energy or vitality we need. And the, the aha moment that sort of came over time was this feeling of, okay, like we were eating junk and wondering why we were tired and having health issues. And now that we figured out how we can, you know, that food is the medicine and we can adjust our diet and we have more vitality and we feel better and we're freer. Well, I really think that each of these journeys kind of, and especially just the, the deep experiences we've had I really learned that, you know, we live to have experiences that then generate emotions and then we digest that, we metabolize that and convert it into wisdom, convert into that knowing or convert into that just, just having had the experience as, you know, as a spark of God or what have you. And, and, and what's fascinating is in the same way that when we eat food and sometimes it doesn't sit well with us or it doesn't digest well personally, you know, like you have somebody just sort of get stuck and you're like, ah, oh, and you got to do something to kind of flush it out. It's like the same thing happens with emotions. We have an experience. We didn't know how to fully digest the grief or the anger or the sadness. And, and it just kind of gets stuck in there. And in the same way that we hear the horrible stories of like, you know, someone doing like a colon cleanse and being like, that's 12 years of blah, blah, you know, like, I think that the emotional pipes have a similar kind of opportunity for us to know how to get in there and work with it. But I think it's really our destiny to, to be able to do it ourselves and to know, but now we just need to know how to get started. So I feel like I, there's a way showing effect. There's a, there's a little bit of being a detective. There's a little bit of customizing it. So it's just right for each person. But I really feel like that's, that's part of, you know, what we're, you know, it's part of our inheritance. I think we're meant to be able to figure this out. That's why I get about this sort of discussion on the future and architecting future is that feeling of, you know, imagine how much energy we could harvest if we knew that shifting, you know, digesting and, and metabolizing 
grief or some, you know, figuring out how to work with our anger in a different way, being a befriend it, be in a different relationship with it, know how to, you know, be in relationship with nature in a different way could, could allow us to be and really develop a partnership. And then I think, oh, oh, what we're capable of if we do that. And oh, I for sure. We're only using a smidgen right. of what is available to us, like a smidgen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I get, I get super excited when, you know, when I'm in a flow state and when I help other people to get to that flow state. And it's amazing how um, the, you know, sometimes it really can be figuring out how to stand in different positions, see it from a different angle. Um, it takes definitely takes a little creativity in it, and it can really be fun too, because it is solving a mystery. It's like, what's going to set me free right now? And I think the part of me that was trapped in my body obviously was forever interested in what creates that freedom, you know, what creates that freedom to just relax or be at peace, you know? And I also think that when we lived in a world where we had to work the land and we had to take care of, and we had to farm or we had to grow stuff to live, I think just directly working with the land did a lot of natural emotional alchemy in the, in that sense of like having to put your hands in the dirt, having to figure out how to, you know, make tough decisions with livestock, you know, and just to care for them, you know, it breaks your heart to have a lot of animals to care. It's, it's a lot yet. It, it, works those muscles it works that and now that we don't have to do those things and we have pets which can still you know be a huge you know but i see pets as they are emotional alchemists themselves for us right and so it's huge yeah so i want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier which was this what i call actually soul layering and it's how you had different abilities and skills show up after each of the near death experiences were those related to that the experience themselves in any way no no it was really it was really unconscious it was as if you know i'd go through it i would just be dealing with the shock and and would be so stunned and then afterward, you know, it's, it's so it's, I mean, it is that strange thing where, where after you have something really intense happen, you kind of, it, you feel weird for like a little while and then it kind of snaps into regular life again. You know, it's right. like the first time I said, I want to see a UFO. And then I did and even got a picture and was like, and it was like, ah, you know, and then a few days later, it was like, yeah, whatever, you know, same same. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's go to that for a moment. <laughs> So tell us, tell us the story of that. Well, you know, I wish I, I, I wish it was cooler in one sense, but it still did occur. I was, I, at the time I was working where I had a long commute and had to leave before dawn. And I, and it was right around 10, 10, the 10, 10, 10 event. And I was getting ready to go to New York city to, for the, there was a big convention and there was going to be all the, you know, like 13 grandmothers and all this great stuff. And I was so excited to go. And um, I was thinking about all the people that had all their experiences of seeing them. And I was driving, you know, before dawn and I was getting excited to see, you know, the sun come up and I'm driving along and I just decided I would, and I was just like, you know, I really, 
come on guys. Like, I really just want to see, come on. Can I just see you? I know you're out there. Like, come on, please. I was almost like jokingly, like, pretty please. <laughs> you know, can I just, just a little please. Um, and then I think I said a prayer because I usually would say my intentions as I drove. And so I think I said a prayer and I was really genuine about it. And I put my phone out the window to take a picture of the dawn right afterwards because the color came up while I was talking and I took the picture and I looked at my phone and there's a craft lifting off and it was one of those like cool sort of cigar shaped cylindery things and there's no mistaking it and I knew what I had because I just asked for it and so I had that kind of so I'm just like thank you <laughs> like thank you so much wow that was quick you guys are really listening <laughs> and do you still have the photo I thought I showed it to you actually already. I don't think you did. <laughs> I, 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 I will, I will share it with you. It's, it's pretty cool. I was talking to one of the other guests about how oftentimes when we have these experiences that we are given something that remains in the physical so that we don't go back into the mind and justify it as maybe I made this up because it's significant for us to remember that there is something else happening here than what we see or what we can logically make sense of. Absolutely. And I looked at it and continue to, every now and then I'll go, oh, you should take a look at that and just remember. And then when I was looking at doing some research and just sort of searched online, I was able to find other people who had taken similar photos and went, yep, that's the one. And um, all I knew is that it felt friendly and it felt very loving. It didn't feel like I stirred up the wrong pot. It didn't feel, it didn't feel um, shocking. It felt playful, it felt supportive, it felt kind. And so that also stays with me. And I feel a lot of gratitude for that because it was very much like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> if you oh, really want to see us, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And, and I, was really, and I still am really grateful, but you're absolutely right. When you do have something you can look at and check out, it, it definitely makes a difference for that feeling of, okay, yeah, that's, that still really happened. And um, there was one experience that talk about an example of, okay, I will tell a different one. So this was a unique one. This was a, this was different, but this is a good one. So I was in a car and I was driving with someone and I was in the passenger seat and they went off the exit. They took the exit to get off the highway. And there was, it kind of was one of those fast, like suddenly you're in four different lanes and there's a stoplight there. It was weirdly short. And the person driving realized that they were in the wrong lane. So they turned right quickly, but they didn't check to see if anyone was coming. And so I remember that the car turned and I looked out the window and all I saw was the hood of a car coming directly at us wow. and everything got weirdly quiet, weirdly slow. And the, the car, I mean, it was only feet away and the car turned, our car turned and the cars just sort of were moved and I watched it happen and then everything stopped and then everybody kind of went back into the normal. And so everybody, the woman driving was a little shocked, but she was like more bothered. She was kind of like, oh, oh, you know, and uh, I mean, there was an impact, but it was kind of like this sort of touching 
It was very weird. So they paused and then they just went, they went straight ahead through the, through the stoplight and pulled over. And I actually really couldn't move. I felt really, really weird. And it was an unusual kind of, it was, it was really strange. In fact, I couldn't get out of the car. I couldn't do anything for a few minutes. They got out, they're looking at everything. And when I finally figured out how to get out of the car, there was no damage except for the logo on the side dropped off on the ground. So they had nothing to really, there was nothing for them. They exchanged information, but there was nothing to fix. So we were going to dinner and I, and I felt so weird that I, I just was out of my, I really didn't feel like myself. And um, when what was bizarre the most was that I wasn't warm. I was freezing cold and it was in the eighties and I was freezing and I knew, well, it was shock. It was surprise. And so I went, you know, I got dropped off where I was going and I, uh, I couldn't get warm. And I started getting text messages from friends who are gifted. I saw you die. Are you okay? Tell me you're alive. I, and then another one, I saw you die. Tell me you're okay. By the time I got chills. Yeah. By the time I got the sixth one, I finally had enough gumption to say, tell me what you saw. And she said, I saw the hood of a car, T-bone, the car you were in, you were in the passenger seat. It was a gray car. And I saw your head explode. I saw you absolutely die horribly. And I said, so that happened. And then it didn't happen. And I am here still but I was not the same. And she was grateful and glad and thank goodness. I'm glad you're here. But I had a very clear vision of being on a timeline where it was like, it was a more conscious hopping of a timeline where I was aware of the, of the, of my son growing up without his mother versus now me being here and being able to be a mother who could, could be there for my son. And it was a very, it was, it was intense to the degree that I got, a, I got sent a picture that my son had just gotten straight A's and I couldn't actually respond. Like I, I couldn't, I, I was so not in my body that I, I couldn't figure it out. And so thankfully at the time, I was a, a friend of mine also reached out to me who's a gifted intuitive and medium. And I said, okay, I need your help. This just happened. Can you, can you give me some other information past what I'm feeling? Cause I'm so out of it. I can't tell. And she said, well, you're half in and you're half out. She said, and not only that, but you kind of having a little bit of a Carol Ann experience because you're not the first person to die there. She said, there's somebody else who saw you do this and hopped on. So you've got, you've got a hitchhiker. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's why I feel extra, extra weird. I'm not all the way in. And now I have a roommate. <laughs> <laughs> fabulous. That's fabulous. And she's like, okay, so you need to get back in your body, figure out who can help you do that. And then you need to get rid of this little extra tourist. All right. And, and then you'll probably feel warm and be okay. And I thought, okay, all right, groovy. And, um, so I made some phone calls and I, I found out it was not one person. It was two. It's a couple who died there in a car crash, probably a similar way, which is really sad. And I'm glad that we could help them get to the other side because they were stuck there. And, and 
their sadness was part of my just, they were so, so bummed. And as I, you know, and, and then I still need a little help getting all the way back in. So I called another colleague and when she did her work and she's a fantastic shamanic healer. And, and when she helped me in, she said, there's a big, she's like, there's a lot of gold here. She said, you chose to stay. You're, you're here to do some big work and you're needed and you're and this is important and thank you. And you need to pay attention. So you know what it is you're going to do and don't stop. And so I thought, wow, that's beautiful. And I was, you know, but I was in that same kind of, you know, well, did that really happen? I don't know. And at the time I was house sitting and, um, and so I was alone in this house that uh, wasn't my own. So I, I felt strange there as well. But I had said I would go to a, a theater performance with some friends. And I, I was like, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't cancel it. I've got to still go. And plus I really loved them to pieces. So, you know, and I didn't even know what I was seeing because I adored them so much. I'm like, sure, theater. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> like, I want to go. So, but then I was thinking, oh my God, but they were going to pick me up. And I was thinking, well, I'm not driving. Okay. That safer I think and so they picked me up and they brought me to this production meanwhile I'm still reeling and don't know how to talk about it it was just 24 hours ago I don't know what to say and I'm trying to handle it and my father as you know died when I was 18 and this this happened in 2013 so I sat down it was a small theater like a little boutique theater there was maybe five rows of seats that you know you know, fold up chairs and here's this performance in front of us. And the first man to walk out is the doppelganger from my father. It was as if my father walked out and stood in front of me and started speaking. And this profound grief came up out of me and I just started bawling uncontrollably. Of course, people around me are like, what? Like, it's not that bad. <laughs> like, this is a good show. And I'm like, and I'm trying to handle it, but I'm literally like, you know, people are handing me tissues. I'm like, it's really nice. No, it's good. <laughs> like, it's just okay. It's okay. And I'm watching, it was a play. It wasn't a musical. It was a play. And I just try, you know, and the intermission happened. I'm calling friends going, oh my God, you're not going to believe what's happening. But what was to drive it home on the, you know, there's the humor of spirit, right? The play, I can't make this up. The play was actually about someone who everyone thought died, but hadn't for real. And it was a, and it was a comedy farce about how everybody was thinking this person was dead, but they weren't. And then they pop up and they're like, no, I'm fine. What's your problem? What an awesome synchronicity. <laughs> so I poured out all this grief, which I think was necessary for whatever part of that switch over and also to sort of stir stuff up and help me kind of unpack a lot from the previous, since the last, you know, I don't know, whatever I built up since the last one. And then I really opened up to more that then landed on. Okay. And, and also my attempts to do kind of regular business did not work. Mm, so I was also kind of being given this like, yeah, no, don't, not that way. And so I finally had to have an experience to make me surrender into allowing a spiritual aspect in. And, you know, the idea that this energy would show up in the face of my actual dad, that got me. <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to do the one where I can't make it up, 
I'll never forget how, and, and it's like, and if I have a question, it's like, yeah, sweetie. Yeah. You need to remember this is real. <laughs> like, yeah, that happened. And yeah, that was that weird. <laughs> That's just, I mean, I'm trying to follow all the links and the, I, I mean, it's just, it is, it's serendipity. It's synchronicity. It's mm-hmm. the divine plan, having a sense of humor, which I do think it does. Oh, Absolutely. Which is definitely part of my part of, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to talk more when we do the event about the skill, skill at will archetype system. And one of those aspects is comedy, because that really is, I mean, right. that's, that's one of the oldest forms of emotional alchemy that we have. It's gone to the ages is being able to, you know, horrible experience plus time equals funny. If you can, you know, describe it because <laughs> at the time I wasn't laughing, but now it's funny. <laughs> right. You are going to be one of our guides at the Spiritually Architect the Future Live Immersive on March 24th and 25th. That is free for people to attend. And your area that you're going to be talking about is transmutation. Mm-hmm. So can you give just a, just a tiny little taste of what you're going to, to get into with them on that event? A tiny little taste. Well, I think my dream is that when you have a profound experience, you don't look at the world the same way. You, you see a deeper, you see a depth to it. And my, my great joy would be if people could really leave feeling like they have some new tools and they have some ways to access energy that can, that they can transform with, that they can transmute themselves with. And I'm going to show it how to do it with a push of a button and just allowing to enjoy something. The idea that you could really do some big work while you're actually really having a really nice time, I think will be a great, I mean, I think for us to really hack this in the coolest way, you know, I, 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 I think it's a love story to, to say, you know, work smarter, not harder. And then to not work at all and just have really great choices that you really love. And that's what I find is that when I teach things, people, you know, keep them and work with them and, you know, it's something they keep handy and I'm going to make sure everybody has that. Awesome. And you have always done that for me when we work together. So I so appreciate that. And I appreciate you being here with us today. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners before we close today? You know, I think I just want to, I just want to bring the reminder that nature is such a big resource. It's not just, I, I, I love the idea that we have our animals, you know, our pets are alchemists that are in our house. You know, when you pet a dog, it changes your body chemistry. And when, you know, and, and one of the first forms of volunteer work that I ever did when I was young was actually to go to an animal shelter and I'd walk the dogs. And then they had a program where you could bring the animals to a retirement community, retirement home. And I'd walk from room to room in a nursing home and bring the puppy or the cute dog or the golden retriever to wag its tail. And people would just, just so much joy, but that it actually physically shifts your chemistry, makes a difference. And then later, I graduated to more and more difficult places and the joy that came back to my heart at a time that was really tough was transformational. And so one of the things I definitely want to make sure people know is that when you show up in volunteer work, 
when you contribute to your neighborhood or you do something for others, it really is a, a fast way to feel better. You know, especially when we're sort of so closed in, we've been so, I, I have, I just want to make sure that that remembering that when you do something nice for your neighbor, it can, it can not just rock their world, but it might, it might really make an impact that lasts for a long time. And that's just never been, is where, you know, there's so much that's brought us into more isolation. Those opportunities can really shift you and it's available. You know, it can be the kindness of making some cookies or doing something you can go drop off or offer and, or to just walk their dog. (laughs) Absolutely. One of the biggest things to, to really shift our energy around depression or anxiety is to take our focus off of ourself and our own problems and to look at making a contribution to something bigger than ourselves, because then it can put everything that we're going through into perspective. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Catherine. I really, really appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for tuning in today and next week, Next episode, we will have another guide that is going to be part of the Spiritually Architect the Future event to share some of their adventures in mysticism with us. If you are interested in getting in touch with Catherine, her information will be in the show notes. And if you would like to attend the Spiritually Architect the Future event live um, and complimentary, then go to adventuresinmysticism.com and you'll be directed to where you can find more information and register. Thank you for joining today's Adventures in Mysticism with Leah Grant. To go on more journeys with Leah, subscribe now. To step more fully into your spiritual role of bringing about a positive, high-frequency future for humanity, visit adventuresinmysticism.com.